Good morning, JCI. My name is Christian. I'm one of the pastors here, uh, and it's my joy so often on Sunday mornings to be able to preach and teach the, uh, the Bible to everyone. Uh, I right now am currently leading a team of 11 people from our church uh, in Chennai, India. The last two days we've been putting on uh, a princess party-themed vacation Bible school for about 100 orphan gr girls. Uh, over here and yesterday morning, uh, because it's actually kind of early Monday uh, here in Chennai, we presented each of the girls with their own tiara and let them know that in God's eyes, they are loved, they are princesses, um, and while they may not have a mom and dad, they have a heavenly father who cares very, very much for them. Uh, today, we'll get on a plane and fly down even more to southern India. We'll go into villages where they're actually rescuing infant baby girls who are going to be killed. Uh, and then next week, we'll be back and look forward to joining you. But even though I'm in India today, I wanted to be sure to, uh, to come and talk to you as we continue our marriage series. Now, next week when I get back, remember we'll be doing our final message in this marriage series uh, titled Marriage One-to-One. -One. We have given you uh, every Sunday this little question card. Uh, that you can pull out and ask questions. And we've been getting some unbelievable questions in about marriage that Danielle and I look forward to next Sunday answering. We'll just be sitting on stools on the stage. Uh, we'll have all the questions that have been asked and we'll answer as many as we can. So today, while you're listening to the message, if you want to pull this out, if you have any questions specifically uh, about marriage, uh, your own marriage, your kid's marriage, your parents' marriage, marriage in general, you're single and you want to know something about marriage, uh, put your question on here. You don't have to put your name on it. We won't know who you are and we will try to answer it from a biblical standpoint and talk to you about biblical marriage. So that's next week. Uh, but today we're going to get into a, uh, a really interesting message that I've titled our Bible study today, Warning Signs of an Affair. Uh, how can you make sure that you as a husband, a wife, you as someone who's going to get married, how, how do you make sure that your marriage lasts uh, for a lifetime? How do you make sure that you don't get tripped up in the things that so many people get tripped up on? If you have your Bibles today, I want you to turn to the book of Song of Songs in your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible today, our ushers are going to go down the aisle and they're going to pass out Bibles. If you forgot your Bible today, uh, if you just want a Bible today because you didn't bring one every Sunday, we're going to preach and teach out of the Bible. We're going to open it, uh, and we're going to be in the Song of Songs today. Now, you say that, that book sounds interesting. In the Bible that we're reading, the New International Version, it's called Song of Psalms. Uh, you might have heard it called the Song of Solomon. I actually like to call it the Song of Solomon. That's how I grew up hearing it, uh, but the Bible tells us that Solomon actually wrote 1,005 songs, and apparently this is the best one. Because of the 1,005, this one is called the Song of Songs. It's the very, very best one. If you don't know where the Song of Songs is in your Bible, uh, if you can find Psalms in the Old Testament, one of the largest books in the Old Testament, and you can find Isaiah in the Old Testament, one of the largest books in the Old Testament, the Song of Songs is one of the two books, uh, the two smaller books right in between that. You have Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and then Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. And today we're in Song of Songs, chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. So if you don't have a Bible, wave at our ushers. They'll give you one. Um, if you actually don't have a Bible or don't know where your Bible is, keep this one. We've given away more than 400 Bibles since our church started 16 months ago, uh, just like this, to people in our church that we want to have their own copy of the Bible. If you just forgot it and you need one to use today, then just raise your hand, use the Bible. When you're done, throw it on the usher's table, and we'll give it away next week as well. But feel free to take that pen to write in the Bible, to make notes in it. Uh, we want you to have a good learning experience today uh, as we read Scripture together. And in the Song of Songs, 
chapter 2, we hear Solomon say something to his fiancée, who's going to be his wife very, very soon, about the importance of protecting marriage. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. How do you, as a married couple, whether you've been married six months or 50 years, how important is it to protect your marriage, and what are you doing? to protect your marriage? Those are the questions we're going to ask and answer today. And look at what Solomon says. In Song of Songs chapter 2, verse 14, he refers to his fiance as his dove. Uh, just so you know, he's not talking to a bird. He's referring in romantic love language to his fiance as a dove. He says, My dove in the clefts of the rock and in the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face and let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. And then he says this in verse 15. This is our key verse for the morning. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes, that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in full bloom. I want to read verse 15 again because we're going to major on that this morning. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. Now, before you put your Bible down, keep it open, but circle the word foxes. Because today we're going to talk about foxes in marriage that have the ability to ruin our love. Uh, Before we jump into it, I I want you to see, because Solomon really, uh, he begged his future wife for two things. And if you pull out your sermon notes, uh, we handed out when you walked in this morning uh, a page that looks like this with a couple blanks on it so that you could take notes as you go along. And there are going to be a lot of things I want you to write down today. But the first thing Solomon says as we look at our, our sermon notes today is, he says, hey, let's make sure and let's keep our relationship protected. Let's you and I figure out how to protect our love. That's what he's asking here. He says this in verse 14. My dove, in the clefts of the rock and in the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. If you have your pen, I want you to underline two phrases because in these two phrases, Solomon is saying, let's let our love exist in the safest place possible, in the most protected places that we can. He uses the phrase clefts of the rock, which would be overhangs on a mountainside that kept you free from the weather, from the wind, from the rain, from animals. It would give you shelter. It would give you protection. So Solomon says, let's, let's find a protected place in our marriage. And then he uses the phrase hiding places on the mountainside. I want you to underline or highlight or circle or write those two, two phrases down. Clefts of the rock and hiding places on the mountainside. Solomon is saying, you and I are going to have to figure out if we want our love to last a lifetime We're going to have to figure out how to protect our love. We're going to have to figure out how to protect our relationship. We're going to have to figure out safe places to let our love exist because there are dangerous places where our love can go away. So as husbands and as wives and as young men who want to be married one day and as young ladies who want to be married one day uh, and maybe as um, a formerly divorced person who's still trying to wonder what happened, where did love go wrong, we see this important admonition that as a husband and a wife, we have to figure out how to live and exist in protected places. We have to know the danger spots for marriage, the danger spots for relationships, the danger spots for love to get tainted or twisted or to be removed altogether. And we got to figure out how to have a relationship within the protection of love. So that's the first thing Solomon says. Let's figure out how to keep our relationship protected. But then he says something that follows it up that I, that I want to major on today. Number two, if you're taking notes on your sermon notes, he says, let's discover together things that can hurt our marriage. 
let you and I figure out, and I want you to see, this is like great pre-marriage counseling, because Solomon and his fiance are not even married yet, and before they're going to get married, Solomon says, let's figure out before we're married what will hurt our marriage. Let's figure out before we tie the knot, let's figure out what will work to untie the knot. Let's figure out the things that can hurt our marriage. And here's what he says in verse 15. We need to catch the foxes. Man, today's message is all about the foxes. It's about figuring out the little things that are running around in your life that can steal the joy, that can steal the love, that can steal the intimacy, that can steal the romance. Today's all about finding the foxes. And listen, I give you permission today to get out your shotgun and shoot the foxes when they wander into your backyard. Today is all about figuring out what the foxes are and killing them so that they don't kill your love and romance. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes. Sometimes they're just little things, but they can cause big damage. The little foxes that ruin the vineyards are vineyards that are in blossom. Now, my experience as a pastor, uh, and unfortunately I've probably gone through this more than anyone at our church, is very often I have a seat at the divorcing table. Now, I don't say divorce table, but couples that are considering getting a divorce, couples that have had affairs, couples that have had abuse, couples that just don't feel in love anymore, couples that have had way too much interaction with in-laws. Uh, I've probably sat at more tables with more strained relationships, I would assume, than anyone in the room. Uh, so more than just my study on this, and I've studied marriage a lot, and I read a lot of books on marriage, and I go to marriage conferences, and I listen to marriage messages, but more than anything, uh, I've experienced a lot, of, a lot of young couples that I have married that are married no more. I've been a part of relationships that don't last the long haul. I understand that there are things that hurt marriage, um, and some of them hurt them where they're not repairable anymore, uh, and some of them go forever wrong. And some of you sitting in here today, I've walked through a divorce with you, unfortunately. And it's, it's been our church's goal to come alongside you and to love you and to help you and to see you restored so that you can take your next steps in life. But marriages, not all of them make it. And the things I'm going to talk to you about today are reasons why so many of them don't make it. Because so few begin, um, so few, if any, begin with a couple out of love. I love what Solomon says in verse 15. He said, let's go ahead and figure out what will hurt our marriage while our love is in bloom. That means it's on the way up. We are just beginning to fall in love. Every couple that I've ever met is just beginning to fall in love. Every wedding that I ever do, I, I use this phrase, marriage is not the finish line of love. Marriage is the starting line. You're just beginning to fall in love. But many people see it as the end. It is, it is the, the gold medal. It is the blue ribbon of relationships. We've won the race, now we're married. Wrong. You've just started the race when you get married. And Solomon says at the beginning, let's figure out what will end the race before we start it because maybe it's not worth starting it. Because when love is in full bloom, uh, we're not worried about things that will get in the way because we don't let them. Our love is our priority and everything else is secondary. But when marriage starts and when life begins, and when we're not thinking about capturing love, but we're just existing in love, things can get in the way that can cause uh, really bad damage to our marriage. And I want to talk to you about those today. Um, and we're going to call those marriage foxes. And here's what we're going to call those as you look at your sermon notes. We're going to look at warning signs 
of an affair. How can you know if you have some marriage foxes running around in your marriage garden? How can you know today if maybe you're walking the ledge of having an affair or of seeing your marriage come to an end? Because there are some real clear signs that I have picked up in the last dozen years or so of doing ministry and of meeting with couples. It seems that every couple kind of follows the same path to the ending uh, and it's insane when you bring, when you sit with two people at a table and they look at each other and it's clear that not only is the end near, the end is past. Um, and they sit at a table and they don't love each other anymore and they don't care for each other anymore. And they are in a hurry to just be done and be over and start over. How does a marriage get to that point? That's what I want to talk to you about today. And I want you to fix your mindset and I want you to pay very close attention so you can make sure as you leave today you have these things in your head, you know the foxes that are running around, and you know how to take them out if you ever find them running around in your marital life. Uh, fox number one, here's, here's the first thing. If, if you want to see your marriage slip out of love and slip into an affair, here's what you need to do. Number one, convince yourself that it won't happen to you. If you right now aren't worried about your marriage ever coming to an end, if you don't ever lie awake and wonder, what, what could I possibly do? Or what could my spouse possibly do that would end our marriage? If, if you never think about um, making sure your marriage doesn't come to an end, you're going to be in jeopardy of having your marriage come to an end. You say, Christian, that's crazy. It would never happen to me. The people who feel that way are not highly aware of what Scripture says about our lives and the ability for things to go wrong in a hurry. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul gives us a verse about the Old Testament, and it's one of my favorite New Testament verses about the Old Testament because Paul says in this one verse, like, here's what the Old Testament is for. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11 and 12. He said, now all these things, that's the Old Testament, everything in the Old Testament happened to them as examples, and they were written for us, for our admonition, upon who the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stand take heed, lest he fall. Paul said, listen, the things in the Old Testament were written about those people so that we would see them and we would learn. And here's one of the lessons we should learn. Man, everyone ought to always be careful that thinks that he'll never fall because a lot of people in the Old Testament did. In Hebrews chapter 11, and I won't ask you to turn there, but please notate that on your notes because it's one of the greatest chapters in the New Testament. In fact, it's known today in church as the Faith Hall of Fame, uh, which means that it's, you know, that we've got the NFL Hall of Fame, the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. It is the greatest of the great of Old Testament Bible heroes uh, and what they did for God. I mean, it, it's the best of the best. But here's the interesting thing. In Hebrews chapter 11, there are 20 names listed. So there are 20 Old Testament people or groups of people. There are a few teams, I guess you would say, in the Old Testament Hall of Fame. There are 20 in Hebrews chapter 11. 13 of those 20 are severely flawed to the point where we would look at them and say, well, like, if they could be in the Hall of Fame doing some of the things that they did, maybe my faith is bigger than I thought it was. Names like Noah, uh, who had maybe the most horribly embarrassing, drunken, one-night binge that anyone has ever had in the history of the world. People like Abraham, who on two occasions pimped out his wife in return for his safety. Now, that's a harsh way to say it, but go back and read it. That's what he did. He sold his wife 
into someone else's harem so that he would be taken care of. People like Sarah, who laughed in God's face when God said, I really want to bless you. She laughed and said, no way. She didn't trust God. People like Jacob, who was a liar and a thief. People like Moses, who was a murderer, and even as a spiritual leader, a hothead. Um, the people who passed through the Red Sea, every one of them that saw the ten plagues on Egypt and who passed through the Red Sea, every adult who later died in the desert because they chose to believe, one, that God wasn't God. They started worshiping idols, and then when God said, go take your land, they said, yeah, we don't want to. Uh, people like Rahab, who Hebrews 11 reminds us she was a prostitute. Uh, people like Gideon who had, like Ray Lewis, lots of kids with lots of women. Uh, people like uh, Barak, who was a coward. People like Samson, who was a sex addict. People like Jephthah, who killed his daughter. People like David, who was an adulterer and a murderer. People like Samuel, who may have been the, the Bible's worst parent. These are the people that the Old Testament says, look at their faith and learn from them. And then Paul says this, look at their faith and learn. These are the best of the best. And man, all of them had it go wrong at one point. If you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, it won't go wrong for me, you've not looked at people who are way more spiritual than us, people who were closer to God than us, who had it go wrong for them. We all ought to understand we have the ability, not your spouse, you have the ability to really mess things up. So if you convince yourself it'll never happen to you, you were like in prime position to have someone or something come into your life that begins to degrade your marriage. Don't think you're above messing up. Don't think you're above getting it wrong. Pay attention. If that's you, pay attention this morning. Number two. So number one, convince yourself it won't happen and you're going to put yourself on a slippery slope. Uh, number two is, is maybe the biggest point, and this will be one of our take-homes this morning to see if we've done this. Uh, cultivate a relationship with a third party. That would be number two if you're taking notes. Cultivate a relationship with a third party. And, and know this know that these people are out there. There are people out there in your life who you have the ability to have an inappropriate relationship with. And know that the devil, according to scripture, is looking at your sphere of life and figuring out who you might be a little too friendly with, who you might be a little too close with, who you might be a little too emotionally involved with, and he's trying to figure out how to mess up your life with that third party relationship. 1 Peter 5.8 says this. He said, Christian, y'all, do you really believe in the devil? Do you really believe the devil's out to get me? I do. Why? Because the Bible says so. In 1 Peter 5.8, the Bible says, be alert and be of sober mind because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The devil's always on the loose. He's always on the run and he's trying to destroy lives. That, that's kind of what he does. And one of the ways he's going to do it is by bringing people in and out of your life that you have the capacity to get into an inappropriate relationship with. And some of you right now, you've not had an affair, your marriage is not on the rocks, but you are in an inappropriate relationship, an unhealthy relationship. Let me put it that way so I don't offend you. You're in an unhealthy relationship with a third party. You need to be aware of that. Who are these third party people? They're people at work that you spend more time with than your spouse, that you enjoy that you laugh with, um, that maybe you break for lunch with. Uh, there are people at the fitness club who you've noticed, and you notice when they work out, and on your way there, you wonder if they'll be there, and you make it a point to say hi at the water fountain. Uh, they're just people who have caught your eye. Uh, there may be another parent at your kid's school or on your kid's sports team that you just find yourself in the stands or on the sidelines a lot, but um, you find yourself as you drive there wondering, 
will they be there? Will they not be there? If they're not there, you're kind of down because you don't have anyone to talk to. Um, there are people, believe it or not, I met one couple who divorced because a wife met someone in the airport on a bad day who ended up being on a cross-country flight with her. And those five hours, he was nicer to her than her husband had been in the last five years. And they ended up going to dinner when they got to Los Angeles. And they ended up going to a hotel and she started an affair. She actually left her husband and married a guy she met in an airport. Um, believe it or not, maybe they're people that you've met on Facebook. Do you know that a few years ago in Europe, more than a third of divorce decrees and the reasons people were getting divorced, more than a third, one in three, mentioned Facebook? Old friends you connect with on Facebook, uh, old relationships that you connect with on Facebook, random people who are just trolling for friendships and relationships on Facebook. Some of you right now have an unhealthy relationship at work, at school, on your kid's sports team, at the sports club, online and social media. And you need to understand and, and you, need to ask this, you need to ask and answer this question this morning. Do I have an unhealthy relationship with a member of the opposite sex? Is there anyone outside of my spouse that I think about, that I wonder about, that I look forward to seeing, that I highly enjoy their interaction? Uh, because when, when you take this step that you get into an unhealthy relationship with a third party, um, the slope gets very slippery very fast. Number three, what's the third sign or the third warning sign that you could have an affair? Number three, write this down. You begin to compare your spouse to this third party. You compare your spouse to this third party, what they look like, how they treat you, what their job is, what kind of parent that they are. Um, you, you begin in your head to compare everything they do to everything your spouse does and you begin to wonder, would I be better off with this person? And you begin to actually like this person more than you like your spouse. When you get to that place where you're playing that compare and contrast game, um, that's not a good place to be in marriage. Number four, write this down. You begin to connect emotionally and physically with this third party. Now again, and I want to say this clearly, Many of you have not had a physical affair yet, but the emotional affair is beginning, and it's unhealthy. I don't even want to say that it's highly sinful and you need to repent from it, but you need to be aware of what is happening in your heart and with your emotions. Uh, how do how, You say, Christian, how do you begin to connect emotionally uh, and physically? You begin having conversations with this third party that shouldn't be had with someone who's not your husband uh, or not your wife. You begin to talk to someone about, of the opposite sex about trouble you're having at home. Uh, you begin to talk to them about trouble you're having at work and they become a confidant for all the stress and struggles and conflict that you're having at work and in life. Uh, you begin to discuss with them your sick kids. Uh, you begin to talk to them about your problems with your finances or more specifically your problems with your husband or your wife. You begin to confide in them uh, about your struggles with weight loss. They, they become a, a close emotional confidant to you. Get this, you, can, you begin to talk to them about how excited you are in your spiritual growth. I've seen husbands or wives begin to really grow quickly spiritually and when their spouse doesn't grow as quickly spiritually as they are, they latch on to a member of the opposite sex and they begin to grow spiritually with this unhealthy third party rather than the spouse. These are dangerous places to be in that we need to be aware of. These are foxes that need to be shot dead on sight 
and, and sold off to get the bounty on whatever they're collecting on them. Um, unhealthy connections. These are people that you begin to have text message relationships with. Listen, you should never have a text message conversation with, with a member of the opposite sex who's not your spouse, ever, ever. There's no reason to. These are people that you begin to have phone calls with on the way to work, on the way home from work, maybe on the weekend, maybe at work. Uh, these are people that every now and then you meet for coffee. Uh, you have a break at the same time, so you find yourself leaving and going to a Starbucks together. Uh, and then coffee turns into a lunch. These are people that you work with that every now and then you have to take car trips with and you spend lots of time talking to them. These are people that you travel with and every now and then you're on an airplane together. Um, these are people that you have begun as total strangers, but now you hug each other when you see each other or when you leave each other. Unhealthy emotional and physical connection. You have to be aware of that. You have to be aware of maybe there's people you're not even thinking about that because you don't think of them that way, but you think, man, it seems like every break time she's at my desk. Every lunchtime he ends up where I am. This person's always hugging me. I never realized it now, but this is unhealthy. It's got to be on your radar. And this is a fox that has to be shot dead on sight. Now, there's one, one exception to the rule, and that's if, if you have someone in your life uh, who clearly is, is, uh, is not a relational threat, uh, but they have some kind of inappropriate physical contact with you. Let me give you an illustration. Several years ago, and for those of you who, who don't know me, the thing that I lack the most as a pastor is skill in a hospital. Because when I go to a hospital, I want to pass out. I just don't do well in hospitals. So I was visiting um, an, an older lady uh, in a church that I used to pastor in. Uh, she was in her 80s. Her husband was in her 80s, and he was dying in an ICU. And she called and said, I need a pastor to come pray. And they sent me, and I went. And I'm sitting in the waiting room of ICU, and she says, you need to come back and pray with my husband. And I said, I'm afraid if I go back there, I'll pass out. Can I, just, can I pray for him out here? And she said, no, you need to go back there and pray with him. And I said, okay. So I stood up and I began to walk towards the ICU. And she smacked me on the rear end and said, buck up and go pray with him. And I said, you know, and I guess it wasn't inappropriate at the time. And I said, okay. But the funny thing was, after that moment, literally every time she's ever seen me, she smacks me on the rear end. Every time she ever, at church, in the grocery store, if we see her someplace, she has become, I just know she's not going to hug me. She's going to smack me in the rear every time she sees me. My wife is aware of it and has signed off on it. It's okay. But that, if you have an old lady who likes to smack your rear end, um, but you know you're not going to have an affair, I'm cool with that. Anyone else, you need to understand to know those emotional and physical inappropriate connections. Um, number five, it's a big one. If you're here, you're in trouble. You need to write this down. If you're here, you, need, you probably need to have professional counseling quick. Number five, you convince yourself that you never loved your spouse and that you deserve to be happy. I'm going to say that again so you can write it down. The warning sign of an affair, the, the warning sign that it's coming to an end. You convince yourself that you never loved your spouse and that you deserve to be happy. Now, you need to understand that emotional thought is not a spiritual thought. You know, I do, uh, I do a lot of weddings. And this is the little booklet that I take when I do weddings. It has 25 different wedding ceremonies in it. All kinds of vows, uh, ring ceremonies, unity candle, people who do communion, you name it. It's got everything in here. I look through this. Not one of the 25 ceremonies listed in this book uh, has anyone saying a vow that as long as I'm happy, I'll stay married. All of them say things like for better and for worse. 
for richer and for poorer, many of them say in good times and in bad. There's not one that says, as soon as I'm not happy, I'm out. But I hear this all the time. I don't even know that I love them. I deserve to be happy. This isn't fun. This isn't fair. And I'm telling you, that, that's a lie that will bring your relationship, your marriage to an end quickly. Uh, I had a couple that just in the last few years I was counseling with where a wife um, got a boyfriend. She was running around. She had had an affair. The husband was willing to work through it. He was willing to forgive her um, and to help her. They had a few kids. Uh, and I was sitting down with her and Danielle at a counseling appointment at one time, and I just said, what are you doing? And she said, well, he's just so much more fun than my husband, and I'm so much, I'm happy when I'm with him. And I said, that's because you're not married to him, and you don't have to do his laundry, and y'all are not paying bills together, and y'all are not raising kids together, and you're not keeping a house together. You're happy because all you're doing is dating him, and dating is fun. Date your husband. You don't just deserve to be happy. You deserve to be faithful. And if you find yourself in this thought trying to figure out if you ever loved your spouse or not, I'm telling you, stop right now. Go see a pastor. Go get counseling. Figure out how to fall in love again or your marriage will not make it. Number six. And listen, number six is going to be like a cold, hard truth. But it's true. Uh, if you're going to have an affair or if you're on your way to having an affair, you're going to have to learn to lie. That's number six. Learn to lie. And, you know, lies don't, don't start with um, just a, a bold-faced lie. Lies usually start in the form of secrets or places in your life that your spouse doesn't have access to. Uh, Danielle and I, uh, and I would recommend this for everyone, Danielle and I don't have anything in our life that each other can't get into. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, she has all the passwords to my phone and my computer and my iPad. Uh, and my Facebook accounts, and our bank accounts, and our credit card accounts. There's nothing of mine that I have in my life that she can't go and check out, and there's nothing of hers that I can't go and check out. There's nothing protected or secret. Uh, if your spouse won't give you their Facebook password, if your spouse has a credit card that's just for them, or a bank account that's just for them, if your spouse, if you have no ability to get on your spouse's computer, or phone, or iPad, I don't want to say something's wrong there, but I do want to say that that sets an environment where something could go wrong and it could be protected. So I would say not only learn to lie, but learn to keep secrets. And if you will not have secrets, it's going to be harder to lie and it'll be easier to keep your marriage together. Um, it, we begin simple. You know, I don't want my wife on my computer. I, my wife doesn't need to be on my Facebook. Uh, I want to be able to spend money that my spouse can't see. Um, it begins simple. It ends in divorce. So if you have learned to lie, you need to learn to confess, and it will be difficult, but it will be worth it in the end, I promise. And then number seven, here's the last step, uh, hang out with compromisers. And I want to give that one more time so you write it down. If you want to put your marriage in a place to fail, hang out with compromisers. Proverbs 22, 24, and 25 says this, don't make friends with a hot-tempered person and don't associate with one easily angered or you might learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Proverbs 22 is basically saying, you're going to become like the people you hang out with. So if you hang out with people that are compromising in their marriage, it'd be much easier for you to compromise. They'll cover for you. Uh, you hang out with uh, a bunch of single friends who are divorced because they ran around on their spouse, they'll cover for you. They might even feed the energy of you cheating on their spouse because they feel like they have freedom in life.
you hang out with compromisers, it could put your marriage in a compromising place. So you say, Christian, what are we going to do? Um, some of you today have realized you have seven foxes running around in your marriage. Christian, which one do I kill first? What do I do? Just, just aim it. Just, just kill them all. One at a time, start aiming at all of them. But think, think back to Solomon's uh, challenge in verse 14. Let's figure out how to protect our marriage. And part of doing that, let's figure out what will hurt our marriage. Let's get rid of those things right now. What are your next steps as a couple uh, as we move to the end of this message? These are on your sermon notes. I want you to write them down. What do I want you to do as a result of this sermon? Uh, first and foremost, I want you to honestly evaluate whether you have an unhealthy relationship with a third party. I just, want you to, I just want you to think through the Rolodex of your life and figure out if there's someone in your life who you have an unhealthy relationship with. I'm not saying you're having an affair. I'm not saying you're going to have an affair. But I'm saying you have someone who you might have an unhealthy relationship with. You need to figure that out. Secondly, you need to honestly and humbly discuss with your spouse each other's relationships. There are some couples in here today where men you've got some ladies in your life that your wife doesn't trust, she's not comfortable with. She needs to be able to tell you that. You need to hear that, and you need to be able to respect that. Men, uh, ladies, there are some ladies in here who you have some people in your life that your husband is not comfortable how you having in your life, and you need to discuss that. And you need to own that. Now, the precursor to this, I want you to use your how to fight fair rules that you learned last week when we talked about tension in marriage and make sure you do this the right way and make sure you have a respectful conversation that ends uh, with a good result. But you need to figure out, are there unhealthy relationships that you believe you have? Are there unhealthy relationships that your spouse believes that you have? You need to get that out in the open. Um, you need to, bullet point number three, you need to decide if there are any friendships in your life that need to end. And again, I'm not saying you've done anything wrong. But if I have someone in my life that my wife is not comfortable with, that someone needs to go away. It's just plain and simple. I'm committed to my wife. If my wife has someone in her life that I'm uncomfortable with, they need to go away. It's just that simple. And you don't have to send them a message, hey, my husband thinks I might have an affair with you so we can't talk anymore. That would probably be an inappropriate way to go about that. But just gently and quietly walk away from those relationships and end them for the sake of your marriage. And then number four, Here's what I want you to do because Solomon asked his fiance to do this. Make what I call a marriage protection list for your marriage. Make a marriage protection list. I will never have a meeting, a breakfast, a lunch, a coffee. I won't ride in a car alone with a woman. I won't go on a trip alone with a woman um, without my wife ever. That's on our marriage protection list. I won't. Uh, my wife will do the same thing. Actually, that's one of the um, that's one of the leadership roles that we have. None of our pastors are allowed to meet with members of the opposite sex by themselves. This is just not necessary. Um, you're going to go on dates. Uh, we're going to go to our kids' sports games together. Make a marriage protection list, which will make your protection, make your marriage safe and protected. Why? Because marriage is important. That's what this month has been all about: raising the value of marriage, pursuing great marriage and hopefully being in marriages that last a lifetime. Uh, today I'm in India, but I wanted to come and communicate these truths to you because they're important. And because if you find yourself in any of these seven areas, uh, they can get real tricky for your marriage. And I want you to be happy, successful, and I want you to 
to catch maybe some of the foxes that are on the outskirts, catch them before they get too close. Pastor Ryan is going to come now, and he's going to lead you in a time of invitation. Uh, I'm excited for next week. I look forward to being back next week and answering your questions. I hope you'll give us some good ones to answer. I hope you'll join us next week. Um, But would you just bow your heads? Would you close your eyes now? And as Pastor Ryan comes with every head bowed and every eye closed, let's just move into a moment of prayer and decision together.